they, uh, they have snuck in here on a Sunday morning, and uh, we don't see them because they're back there doing their ministry to your children, and we bless them for that, don't we, church family? We really do. We're so appreciative of their efforts, but I also want them to get in here and hear a good word from the pastor occasionally, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they are here. I do want to, speaking of children, let me make an announcement real quick, and please don't anybody take this offensive. I don't, I don't normally can see when a parent gets up with a child during service. I know there's movement, but when I'm having those reading glasses, literally I only see, you know, just mirages from afar. <laughs> but I do know that that happens. But what you may not know, though, is because sometimes little children that might be coming in the sanctuary, you may not know that there's a nursing mother's room slash family room to my left, your right, when you go out in the foyer and you go up that stairwell, we have designated that area and the service is live action right there on television. Is that good, Alyssa? All right. So, and I think there's a rocking chair in there too. I go in there to pray oftentimes in the comfort of that rocking chair. So, just wanted you to be aware of it so that you would know if, the, hey, I had to take my child out. Is there a place that I can go to? There is a place you can go to. First Timothy chapter number one. We're going to read one verse of scripture to open this message today. I'm so heavily burdened to share this message. It just identifies with my heart for our fellowship. It identifies with my heart for you. It identifies with my heart for me and my family personally. It's a verse of scripture that God gave me some clarity to to help me personally many years ago. If you're not careful, you'll read over it very, very quickly in Paul's epistle to young Timothy, his own son in the faith. Here in verse 18, would y'all stand and honor the reading of the word of God? It says, this charge, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. It's a powerful verse. I'm going to elaborate on it. I'd like for you to read it with me one more time. It's on the screen. It's here in the Bible in front of me. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So I'm going to give you the, the hillbilly and the hillbilly interpretation. This is the, if you were to type in, you know, for a theological interpretation, I'm going to give you the hillbilly interpretation just real quickly. It just simply means don't forget what God said. It's really at the core of it is don't forget what God said, not just to you, but about you. It's really important. We're going to pick it up today. Father, I love you, and I am humbled to be here. My, I, I, I have a heaviness of, uh, of the glory of God in this building, Father, a nervousness, Father, because of your holiness that's present. Father, and without any uh, expectation in my heart that I have uh, to attempt to entertain this church family or to impress this church family, but God, to know that I can instruct and hopefully by the prophetic word of God, Inspire men and women, Father, to not forget what you've said concerning them. I pray this today. Let preaching come easy in this house. Come on, church family. Let preaching come easy and open the hearts of people to receive the word of God. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Now, we're going to back up out of the, we're going to fold up the hillbilly, um, the source, I guess, or theological book, and we're going to put that up. We're actually going to look at it a little bit more and go back to this verse here. 
Obviously, as Paul is talking to Timothy, he's very familiar with Timothy. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you'll know of when Paul was first introduced to Timothy. Timothy's mother was a Jew and his father was Greek. He was actually a part of the circumcision, making sure Timothy, who professed the call of ministry, was circumcised so that he could, at a later date in life, so that he could then go into uh, Jewish synagogue and Jewish ministry with the Apostle Paul. And, and so there is a very common bond. He, he has a very sincere love, and, and he's addressing something in Timothy. Timothy now has uh, been left at Ephesus. They call Timothy the Bishop of Ephesus. And uh, whether or not that should be applied or not, we could discuss that later. But obviously, Timothy is responsible not just for ministering to people, but also giving counsel and instruction to other leaders in in the Christian community in Ephesus. And so when Paul is saying to him, Timothy, he's saying that there were some prophecies which went before on thee. What does that mean? That means that that someone with a prophetic gift spoke a prophetic word over Timothy. I'll show you here in a moment. He alludes to it one more time here. And uh, so, but let's go ahead and look at it now. It's actually the 14th verse of 1 Timothy for just a moment here. And in, in this passage, it says here, do not neglect that is the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So let me, if I can explain this to you. What this means is, when he's speaking of this moment, it seems as if Timothy would have had what we call an ordination moment. And it were, where Timothy's profession of faith was, and profession of the call of ministry was being validated by others in the ministry. And they would have called Timothy into the circle and someone or a, a, a plurality of those that had a, a particular call in their lives would have laid hands on him almost in the model of Moses laying hands on Joshua. Where there, was a, where there was a conveying or a transferring of a supernatural gift. And so what we see here in this moment is, is that when this group of men laid hands on young Timothy, somebody with the anointing, put this back to verse number 18 of the first chapter, somebody, the Spirit of God came upon someone and they spoke a prophetic word over him about his life and his ministry. And by doing so, it helped cast the direction that, that God was revealing to Timothy about what his call was for him. Let me give you an example of this to help you on this. When the Apostle Paul, or Saul, was called on the Damascus road, when he was blinded and was sent into uh, Damascus and there uh, was in the home unable to see for three days, the Scripture says that God sent Ananias to him with a prophetic word to tell him that he was a chosen vessel to minister to people far away, even in the land of the Gentiles. And so that was casting vision. It was casting direction. It was saying, God was saying to to both Paul and then now Timothy is being reminded of what had been said about him. God said, even what he told Jeremiah, before I called you, he said, I formed you in your mother's womb. And he said, I knew you and I sanctified you to be a prophet. So what he's saying is prophetic words had been spoken over Timothy that were in line with the will of God for his life. And by these, he should wage a good warfare. What that means is, is that when you are going about the ministry that God's called you, and you're uh, seeking to fulfill God's purpose in your life, don't forget what God said about you. Because there can be lonely days along the way. 
There can be disappointments along the way. There can be setbacks. Not everybody believes in your vision. Not everybody believes in the call of God upon your life. Not everybody believes in the doctrine that you preach. I need a little bit more volume right here. It'll help me out just a little bit. And so with this, though, so you need to be reminded. In those days, you need to be reminded that God called you. Are you here today? God called you, and he's ordained things for you. So I believe in a prophetic word. That's why we as a church, we want to stir up the spirit of prophecy among us. We want to keep it agitated, keep it fresh. We believe in it, in the prophetic gift. I'm going to give you a little bit of teaching here in a moment before I take you to something that's a very powerful prophetic story that I believe will help you, again, that you can wage your own warfare and be reminded of the... Even now, some of you, under the sound of my voice, you're being reminded of a prophetic word that was given to you. Right now, I know it. The Spirit of God just quickened it inside of me. Some of you are remembering the dream that you received. Some of you remember when that person that in the middle of a prayer service slipped up over beside you and whispered something in your ear that set the course or helped shape the course of your future and your destiny. And, and you're questioning, you're saying, I'm not seeing it just now. God says you need to remember and not forget what, I've called, what I told you. Are you out there? You don't forget. You've got to allow, by these prophecies, by this prophetic word, wage your good warfare. Make sure that you stay on the battlefield. Make sure that you know that if God said it, can I just tell you today, it was really, I believe prophetic words should be judged. We should not be ashamed to put prophetic words in front of scrutiny and in front of evaluation. Because if it's really of God, it'll stand the test of being scrutinized. It will. And so I want to say this, that if, if, if you know God has given you a prophetic, and prophetic words can come in different ways and means. They can come through someone speaking a prophetic word over you. You can receive a prophetic word through a dream. You can see, receive a prophetic word through a vision. You can receive a prophetic word when an angel speaks to you. You can receive a prophetic word by a quickened word of God. Are you out here today? From as the pastor preaches a word, God can make a word alive inside of you that is a prophetic word that is speaking to your heart and life about your future. Are you out here? And so with the, and, and, and even one more, I believe, and uh, I, I've kind of borrowed from Jace's term the other day, uh, Bible roulette. So you got to be careful with Bible roulette because sometimes it can slip into divination if you're not careful. But every one of us have prayed over the word before and said, God, I need a word. I need, God, you to show something that may not just be for everybody. It's just for me because I need this direction in my life. That's a prophetic word. Did you know Revelation 19 says that the, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? Let me tell you what prophecy is for just a moment. If you take the time to study it out in detail in, in the original language, you'll find that it simply means uh, to foretell events. There's a prophetic unction, a futuristic uh, revelation. Many times we often think of this on a grand scale, and that can be the case. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. But it's not just on world events. How many of you know it's about your life particularly as well? So it's not just on a corporate or a global scale. It can be just on a very specific word for your life, how that you are fulfilling the will of God for your life. We go farther. We find that it is, it is defined as divine exercise of the prophetic office 
or to speak under divine influence. This is when the Greek word was translated. But if you'll take the time, you'll know that the word prophecy comes in both the Greek language translated in the New Testament. You'll find it in the Old Testament as well. And so this is the one that stuck out in my spirit years ago in the Hebrew lexicon that the word prophecy simply means to cause to bubble up. And that's always stood out in my heart and mind because when I think of this, I don't think about a river that's flowing. I don't think about rain that's falling, but I think about a spring that bubbles forth out of the ground. That it's right there, and even times, sometimes springs can just suddenly appear. That they, the water's been there all along, but they have found a crack or a crevice that it's able to penetrate through, and it bubbles forth out of the earth. And so what is a prophetic word? A prophetic word is not when you simply study out a good sermon. It's not even a teaching moment like I'm giving you right now. But within the teaching moment, if you have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, in the midst of a sermon and in the midst of teaching, a prophetic word can can flow out. It can bubble up. The old timers used to say this in the church, man, he got anointed. What they didn't realize is, is his preaching gave way to prophesying. In that moment of time, he wasn't just proclaiming, but he was prophesying towards the glory of God for the life of the individual. He, it wasn't in his notes. He didn't study it out. He hadn't taken it. just simply bubbled up in his or her spirit as the Spirit of God brought it forth for the good of the body. Are y'all out there today? If you study the scriptures, you'll know that God warned apostles, directed apostles, and encouraged the apostles through the prophetic word, often spoken by others in the fellowship who were even not what we would call prophets. The gift of prophecy is to be earnestly desired. I want to put these on the scripture or on the screen so you'll see them. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, it's familiar to us in the Pentecostal movement, but we simply believe in it. It says here, follow after charity, which is love, and desire spiritual gifts, but even rather that you may prophesy. And let me tell you what prophecy is not in this moment. It's not preaching. It's not the simple gift of preaching. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual gift that's not given to all but should be desired by all. All of us should long for it to make ourselves available that the prophetic gift of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, can bubble up inside of us and we can be a conduit of speaking forth the will and the plans of God. Let me go further. We call this the simple gift of prophecy. And that is in verse number 3 here. So this is what it does. It speaks unto men three things, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Correct? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. What you notice is it doesn't necessarily mean that it is predictive. What it means is, is that it can carry a predictive word. Let me give you an example of this. In just a second here, we'll see this in the 24th, I think, or the 24th and the 25th verse. So I want you to think for a moment of time. Now go away. Well, you can stay with the analogy of the water that flows out because the water can carry minerals in it, can it? If you go to Heber Springs uh, to, the, to the spring park here, you'll find there are seven, seven distinct springs that each one of them has water that has a distinct mineral element in it, distinct from the other. And so what prophecy can, it can carry a word about somebody's future. It can also carry information about their present that no one else might know. Paul gives an example of this in the 23rd verse. Here, let's go ahead and show this in the 24th. It says, if all prophesy and there comes in one, that two things, he either believes not or he is unlearned. 
So he either doesn't believe, he doesn't have faith in God, or he's not really familiar what's going on in the church. It says if everybody, if the people have a prophetic gift, he can be convinced of all and judged of all, not in a, in a degrading type of judgment, but read the next verse. It says that thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And he will fall down on his face. He will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And so what is that saying to us? That's saying in the midst of a worship service, someone could come in this room, even somebody who doesn't have a history in our movement, the Spirit-filled Pentecostal movement, or even an unbeliever. And if you and I have the spirit of prophecy agitated in our life, somebody might say a word to him under the unction and the direction of the Spirit of God that reveals the secrets of his heart. And when that happens, that man or that woman then will fall down on their face and say, I know that God is in you of a truth because you wouldn't have had any other way to know this if God hadn't revealed it to you. Are you out here? And then it will help that person realize God knows exactly. The old song said, if his eye was on the sparrow, are you out there? God knows exactly where you are. And God's got a future for you. Right? He's destined things for you. You are His. And this is a prophetic gifts within the body of Christ help us to be reminded that God is moving and God has a plan and purpose and He's working all things out to His own, good, or own glory and to our good. And the people of God said, Amen. Now, if you've studied the Scriptures very long, you know that the prophetic gift was in the Old Covenant. I've preached about it many times. It was in the Genesis. It was uh, in the Old Covenant in the days of the... People of ancient Israel, from Moses to Joshua, revealing future and destiny to the prophets of old that you're familiar with, Isaiah and Jeremiah. It was in Numbers chapter 11 when the 70 elders prophesied. It was in the company of prophets in the days of Samuel. It was in the school of prophets in the days of Elijah and Elisha. And a careful study of God's Word shows that God has been willing historically, and if he's done it historically, then why wouldn't he do it in our generation? He will, and he does. He has is, he is chosen to reveal his plans and his purposes through prophetic ministry. He has. He's directed men and women in their path. Now, remember, there's a corporate application. There can even be a global prophetic word, but sometimes I don't need a global word. Sometimes I just need a little bit of direction from my life to know what to do so that I'm confining myself to the, to the will of God for me. And I'm not trying to be selfish in this matter. One of the things that's needed for us as a church, and I'm going to show you this before we're going to take you to example in a moment, is we need to be zealous of these things. Did you know people are sitting at home today and they are taking their phones and they're dialing a 1-900 number? Not for pornography, but for Madam So-and-So, so that Madam So-and-So will pull out her tarot cards, she'll look into her crystal ball, and then she'll, 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 she'll try to say something to them that might spark something in them that causes them to think that a higher power or an unseen spirit has directed their path. And you know what? You don't need to waste a penny in that type of witchcraft. What you need to do is say, God, let the true spirit of prophecy be in the church 
right? And not let it fall on just a few select men and women that we put on the platform and they've got titles and we can call doctor or reverend or so on. But I'm telling you, if you are a saint of God, you can desire the spirit of prophecy that you can then you can be a catalyst for blessing someone else. I'm telling you, there will come a moment in your life when you need to be around prophetic people. Now, in doing so, I'm also always the pastor of balance. And that is that there are times God reveals to us things prophetically. But there are other times you just simply have to uh, submit to sound reason and counsel and wisdom. Right? And you have to pray and ask the Lord. And there are times that you seek for a prophetic word and you don't find a prophetic word. Most of the time it's because God's already revealed something to you. And you just are lacking the faith to step out and do what he's already said do. Go where he said go. Be who he's called you to be. By these. Paul didn't say, Timothy, if you'll wait till I get there, I'll share a new prophetic word with you. He said, Timothy, I want you to look back and I want you to remember the moment when the prophetic word was already given to you. And by that prophetic word, what he was saying is, it's not come fully to pass. Did you know I'm the pastor of Heber Springs First Assembly of God for now these almost 20 years and 25 years in pastoral ministry because of prophetic words? Because God ordered my steps when I was a young man in ministry and put something in my spirit. Now, I've shared some of these before. I'm not going to take you into all the glimpses of every time that I sought for God for a prophetic word. But it was in 1986. I want to just share with you because from that moment, and I had this in my thoughts, and I said, uh, when, do I, when do I share this in the, in the middle of the message? Where do I share? Where do I fold this in? Because this is not about in any way saying, well, look at Pastor Brown. I'm simply telling you that God found me, directed me, spoke a word about my life and for me, and I made a conscious decision that I would not forget that prophetic word. And I would line myself up to that prophetic word. And so it was in 1986, the summer, Sherry and I had just been married. I had just received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so we were zealous of the things of God, and the call of ministry was, was being uh, uh, you know, evident in my life. And I was, uh, I was developing the preaching ministry as often as I could, the opportunities that were given to me. I, I hadn't yet quite found the, the ability to yield to that, the prophetic unction or anointing to preach. And so... But I was a willing vessel, and I was yearning for the things of God. And I was invited to go into a service east of town here, uh, down um, uh, Hiram Road, and uh, there at uh, Cooterneck, right on the edge. It was called Cooterneck Full Gospel. I should write a book about how that God spoke a prophetic word over my life at Cooterneck Full Gospel Pentecostal Church. It was hot. It was early August. And, and there was no air conditioning in the building. The windows were open, and there was a, a, a young man that was preaching. I, have, I can't recall his name. I don't know anything about him other than he preached very, very fervently and very loud. And he had, uh, he had his own uh, sound system. I don't think the church had a sound system. He had his own. I'm 17. He's probably in his mid-20s to late-20s. 
I've been told previously he didn't used to wear um, ten, he didn't wear shoes when he preached. He preached barefoot, but he had he had uh, upgraded to tennis shoes. He had shiny blue running type shoes uh, on on that day, and he was preaching. And when he would preach, he had a microphone. Look, can I borrow a microphone like this right here? He would take that microphone and he would hold it right here like this. And when he got ready to preach, he would drop his head and he would come all the way across just like this. And he would turn around and he would go back and forth. And once he ran out of breath, he would draw a breath by going, ha. Ah, and he would come back and forth, ha. Ah, and he would go. And it was power and it was shouting and it was Pentecostalism. And it was loud and it was hot. And I was sitting back there, and in the middle of his service, in the middle of his sermon, having never met him, I'm just 17 years of age, he walks back to me in the middle of his sermon. I'm sitting on the edge of the pew uh, beside, Sherry might have been with me. I think she was. Brother Ray was there because he's the one that would have invited me. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he began to prophesy about ministry, and he prophesied about ministry in this area. In this area. Now, later that summer, I had already signed up to go into the United States Air Force. I would leave in January to go to basic training. And I'd spend the next nine years of my life in the United States Air Force. But I could never forget the prophetic words that echoed in my heart. And how that God was lying, and this, that wasn't the only one, there are others. And there may be one more that I'll testify here in just a moment before I take you into something that's going to awaken something in you today. Because you don't need to forget, there are two levels to this message. My first message today are for those that have already received a prophetic word. Don't forget it. Don't forget what God said. Pastor, it hadn't come to, listen, don't stumble into the tent of Hagar. You got to be patient and wait on God. I sometimes, when I'm here and I worship and I look around and I see this worship team and I see a church blended ages that we somehow found a way to navigate through the difficult waters of worship wars and contentions between generations in the church and we didn't split off like other churches and we didn't run away the older folk and we didn't uh, not include the younger folk but somehow or another we were able to fold it all in together. When I, when I look around and I see it, I say, God, that was a part of the word that was spoken long years ago of a prophetic word. Let me tell you, it's not fully come to pass just yet. But I've felt in my spirit as of lately that we may be on the edge of seeing those prophetic words that were spoken because it maybe have seemed like 30 years to me, but it's just a blink of an eye to God. And if God said it, He will bring it to pass. And as long as I'm the pastor of this church, you know what I'll tell you? The best is yet to come. Because God is faithful to his word. Let's, let's bring this passage up. I'm preaching myself happy in here. I may need to get that handheld microphone. I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians for a moment. And we're going to close with another passage of scripture. 1 Thessalonians says rejoice evermore. Come on, that's what church ought to be about, isn't it? You say, Pastor, you know everything that's going on. Absolutely, I, no one follows it probably, unfortunately, more than I do. I do, but I'll tell you what, I've got a reason to rejoice today. I've got joy in my spirit. Rejoice evermore. Let's follow this down. This is what Paul is giving to the church. At the, pray without ceasing. Under your breath, at work, on the job, whatever, then you always ought to be communing with the Father. Right? In communion with the Father. You're praying without ceasing. You're not giving up. You're not praying unbelief. You're not praying doubt. Sometimes you pray, remind God of what he previously said. 
That's what prayer is. Let's go down. Verse number 18. In everything give thanks. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Man, I'm preaching way better than you are shouting. Then give in everything. Good and bad, right and wrong, up and down, people for you, people against you. In everything, I'm just going to give God thanks because he's worthy of praise. That's the will of God for me in Christ Jesus is to give God thanks in every season of my life. At the hospital, at the funeral home, right? Uh, when the job notice or when the notice comes, I've lost my job or uh, uh, unwilling to, 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 go, to go along with certain governmental mandates that are coming in everything. I'm going to give God thanks because he knows exactly who I am and where I am. That's the will of God. Verse number 19, he said, quench not the spirit. Come on now, church family. Let's make that who we are today. Quench not the spirit. I say God move. Let, let, say it with me. Say, God, you move. You have your liberty. Have your liberty in the corporate worship service. Have it when the ladies come in here on Tuesday night. Have it the next time the men gather together. Have it tonight when they're out there uh, back, back alley eats and the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God. God, we don't want to quench the Spirit of the Lord. Right? We want to welcome the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice this. Despise not, he said, verse number 20 despise not prophesying we'll probably stop on that just just let it happen god we need a prophetic word we need a prophetic word in our lives i want you to turn with me here i'm gonna take you into something and so when you have a prophetic word in your life you by that you war a good warfare i'm gonna take you to a testament a, a, a passage in in the book of judges but in doing so as we're turning there and you're getting ready to go there i'm gonna share with you excuse me one more personal testimony of when god directed some Excuse me, sometimes God will take prophetic words for reproof in your life. And I don't mean in a blatant way uh, that, that is um, condemning or condescending, but reproof is often necessary by God. Right? If you're just not, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're just kind of in your own thing. So, so again, Pastor Brown uh, sought the Lord over those, from the time I was 17 until the time when I just felt, you know, I was searching for God's will and I was involved in ministry even while I was in the military and God had given me opportunity to be in the ministry there at, at MacArthur Assembly. And there were a couple of times I wanted to leave prematurely and God redirected me. By, I remember one time an evangelist prayed over me and his words, he said this, he said, don't leave your training ground. How many of you know that sometimes when you think you're ready, God says you're not ready? Right? And not, nobody wants to hear that. Right? When you, when you have a presumption in your mind, be careful of that because that presumption may, may, may cause you to be a, a, a little bit outside the will of God. It needs to be measured up by counsel. And so God, through a prophetic word, said, now's not the time. And so Sherry and I had, I had taken a step of faith. And what was this step of faith? I declined testing in the United States Air Force for the promotion. And by declining testing for promotion, it made me ineligible to re-enlist. And I did that purposely because when I allowed myself to be ineligible to re-enlist, what I did was I burned the plow. What I did was as I said, God, I'm going to go forth and preach the gospel. God, I'm not going to be Airman or Sergeant Lee Brown any longer, but I'm going to be prepared to move out into the ministry that God's given Sherry and I. But what the problem was, I couldn't make up my mind what that ministry would be. I couldn't decide. 
I had, Sherry and I had moved to the parsonage at Wilburn General Baptist Church. We had uh, known the people there from being, uh, uh, you know, attending church there as kids. And in doing so, they allowed us to stay up there. They didn't know. In my, in my thoughts, I thought now was the time for this area. But it wasn't the time. And so it, it became kind of a dead time. It became a time of frustration and things that just, you know, wasn't quite working out. And, and I was even doing weird stuff. And, and now weird for me is not weird like you're thinking. Weird for me was that I was writing down some things that could be the will of God. Do I become an evangelist? Do I try to go on staff somewhere? Do I, uh, do I look to pastor a church? And I put them down in a piece of paper and put them in a little cup and would pray over it. Oh, shut the cup. And reach in there and pull it out, Jojo, hoping that I could unscrew it. If I didn't like it, I could always put it back in. I would drive around the area, you know, just thinking this is, you know, and that things weren't right. And so one day, though, one day I came home from work. I was driving back and forth. I was still in the military. I had over a year on my enlistment. I was driving from Wilburn to Little Rock Air Force Base every day. And I came home, and, and Sherry told me that her sister, Melissa, had called. And Melissa was attending the Prevailing Word Christian Center at that time. And she said, she said there is a prophetess that's going to be here tonight who prophesies over people, and she said, I just felt like that you ought to know. And so I thought about that, and I thought, number one, the women preaching, I wasn't quite there just yet as I am now since I've got daughters that prophesy. Are you hearing me today? And so, but I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and go. And Sherry didn't go. She kept the, the, uh, the five children. Sorry, Alyssa, you weren't quite here just yet. And so, um, but with that, so I went ahead and got changed, and I went to the service, and the prophetess was named Sister Helen Wilson, and our own Robert Little. Where you at, Robert? Robert knew her well. He was probably the one responsible for bringing her there. She lived down in Texas. She had been involved in the occult as a young girl, and, and she had gotten saved in spirit field. And I don't know if that helped her have a listening ear to the voice of the Spirit of God, but perhaps it did. And so, she, and so the pastor shared a little bit, and I'm just trying to say this. I'm not trying to be comparative, but when, when, when he sat down and she stood up, there was, a, there was an elevation in the anointing. You could tell it. And she had, a, she had a keyboard like this right here. And she sat at it, and it was moved. Instead of a pulpit, that was her pulpit. And she would play on the keyboard, and she would minister, and she would preach the Word. And so she preached before she prophesied, and I really appreciated that because I was a Word man. And I really um, was moved by the Word. It was a powerful Word. And when she started prophesying or ministering to people, in the middle of it, she said this. She said, is there anyone here who was in the armed forces? And I, I, I didn't say anything because she didn't say is in the armed forces. She said was in the armed forces. I knew there were other veterans in the room with me. Brother Ray was to my side. He was a veteran. Not a single man or woman raised their hand. And so I raised my hand and then stood up and said, I am in the armed forces. And she said, Brother, this word is for you. And she called me forward and she said this. She said, God has promotion orders in the ministry for you. She prophesied about in the ministry. She said, God has promotion orders for you, but they're sealed up while he waits for you to agree with him. Remember my hand going into the cup? God said, I'm tired of that. And when you will agree with me, I will promote you in the ministry. That was October of 2005 and by that next January 
I was the pastor of Maranatha Assembly in the hill country of Shirley because I aligned my will to the will of God. And I knew that I needed that next step in ministry in my life to see the prophetic word fulfilled. So if you're a cessationist here today and you're telling me that God doesn't speak prophetically as he did in days gone by, I'm sorry. You may have the theology, but I've got the experience. And in this moment, my experience is going to trump your theology. So let me take you into a text of Scripture I believe is a prophetic word because I'm preaching twofold to, number one, to somebody who God's already given you a word. You don't need a new word. You just need to not forget that word God gave you. All right, man, I'm preaching good in this house today. And so then number two, but who am I to say that God can't give a prophetic word to someone else? We get this thing stirred up, who knows? It may not be the pastor, it may be. I pray God make me prophetic. But it may be, there might be somebody that comes walking up on a cane that's got the anointing of God on their life and can lay their hand on you and prophesy a word in your life that it will affect your future and your destiny in God. So the book of Judges for a moment, this is where we're going to close. We're going to take this out in a flurry. I probably won't read all these verses of Scripture. It's rather I will glean over them for the sake of time. But I want you to follow a story with me in Scripture. It's a very powerful story. It carries a gruesome detail in the midst that God used for victory for the children of God. And so in the text in Judges chapter 4, if you know anything about the book of Judges, you will know that that was the time when there, were no king, there was no king in Israel. Matter of fact, there's reproof throughout the book. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. Joshua has died. New generation has emerged in the land that did not follow the teachings and the, pre the principles of faith that Joshua, the man of God, followed. And so they began to fall into apostasy. They had not rid the land of the Canaanites as they were expected to by God. So they had left the remnant of many of the seven nations, the Canaanite nations, in the land. And as a result, God said, I will use them to prove you. How many of you know the enemy is often used to prove our faith in God? God doesn't tempt us with evil, but the enemy can be used by God to prove the sincerity of our faith, whether or not we're going to obey God or not. And so they were proving Israel, and there were times when they fell so far into apostasy that God literally backed up and said, you chose this route. I think America's on this route, just to be honest. You chose this route, and you're going to reap the repercussions of it. And the Bible tells us by this time that 20 years, here's the text I'm gonna, for the sake of time, that Jabin is the, now the king of the Canaanites, uh, and he's got a, a commander, Sisera. And they gained opportunity to engage Israel in battle. And they won many victories, and they took lands that the Israelites had previously possessed. And the Bible says that they oppressed the people for 20 years. 20 years. When it says they oppress the people, that means that oftentimes they would come and harvest. Right? How many of you know what it would be like is that you'd labored all year long for the harvest in your field to be ready to be reaped, only to right before you get there, the Canaanites have invaded your area and stripped your land of all of the wheat or the barley, everything that you labored, and you lost all of your economic gain and the future of your family. Many times because they were, they were Canaanites and they were connected to the pagan religions, they were brutal. I would suppose that there was brutal warfare and that in those days, they, many times they didn't just kill the men in battle. 
If they took a particular village or city, they would often slaughter every living person, young and old, even unto the very children that were nursing on the breasts of their mothers. And so it created hostility and hatred between the competing groups. And so during this time period, God raised up a woman that had an anointing on her life. Her name is Deborah. You'll find her in this passage of Scripture in the book of Judges. And she's the woman that is called the judge at this time. In all the old covenants, she's the only woman that is called a judge to Israel. And so what that means is but that she was a judge is that not only would she prophesy, but people would come to her and ask for decisions about issues that might be in the land. When they needed wisdom, they would come to her. Because sometimes you need a prophetic word, and sometimes you just need wisdom. Right? And so she's being used of God to, 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 to slowly begin to move the people away from apostasy. And in her time of judging Israel, one day she receives a prophetic word that now's the time. Twenty years have reached their, their apex. Twenty years, the clock has struck. God said, enough is enough. God said, now I'm getting ready to deliver the people of Israel. And so God then, through Deborah the prophetess, called Barak. Barak is, the, uh, is a man in Israel, and he, she calls him to her, and she said, I want you to do, listen to this verse. She said, the Lord God of Israel has commanded, go and draw towards Mount Tabor and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Nephtali and of the children of Zebulun because God was going to bring them to a place of battle. Jabin was the king of Canaan, but he didn't lead the army. A man by the name of Sesera led the army, and Sesera was his, uh, his commander-in-chief. And God said, I've pronounced judgment on Sesera, and I'm going to bring him down at a certain day, at a certain time. And Barak, I need you to go get an army, and you need to not let your heart fell in fear. I need you to be prepared that we're going to go out and they're going to look like they're more numerous than we are. They're going to look like that they've got greater resources because they had 900 chariots of iron. You know what 900 chariots of iron mean? It means that uh, for us today it was armored vehicles. For us today, we could even say tanks. And so he said, all of his men, all of the people of Barak's army would have been foot soldiers. And they were going to go out against 900 armored tanks. But God said, don't look at them. He said, I want you to listen to the prophetic word that I'm going to go in front of you and I'm going to discomfit the enemy and you're going to win a great battle. How many of you know if God is for you, it doesn't matter how many are coming back at you. If God has spoken a word to your heart that says this is for you, this is your time, this is your moment, then I want you to know it's going to come to pass if we remember what God said. Let me add a little bit of a detail to this that we cannot go overlooked here today. And that is, but as she's prophesying and as Barak is gathering his army, he, she, it's almost like I can see in my mind, Barak's about to go out uh, and, and, and gather the army. And, and just as he does, the, uh, that spirit of God bubbles up one more time. And she says, by the way, Barak, she says, by the way, I want you to know that there's going to be honor in this victory. Somebody's going to receive accolades. Somebody's going to be hailed as a hero. But she said, Barak, this battle is not your battle to be, receive the accolades as the hero. God said that the honor is going to go to a woman. 
God's going God's to take one in that society which might be overlooked. But how many of you know God sees you when others don't see you? Now, perhaps the first thought was that it was, going, it was referencing, Deborah was referencing herself. But truly and clearly, as time unfolded, it was known that it was not going to be Deborah who was going to receive the, the, the honor, but another woman. And here's what I believe in this moment. I believe that a word like that wasn't spoken in secrecy to Barak. I believe Barak would have had other men around him. And when he did, here, when they heard that word, you know what happens. They began to pass the word as they began to gather the troops, as they began to talk about it and plan and get their assets. And, and gather their allies uh, that they were whispering among themselves uh, that Deborah spoke a prophetic word uh, and that we're going to win a victory but there's going to be a woman that's and I believe it would have it would have just it would have penetrated throughout the countryside and the hillsides it would have been whispered in houses and homes uh, that God said victory's coming the oppression is ending but God said a woman's going to get the honor and so here's what happens with the battle comes close. One more time, there's a prophetic word that's uttered as a reminder that this is the time. I believe that was perhaps in the ninth verse, or excuse me, the 14th verse. It's a renewing of this. Deborah gives again a, a prophetic word. She said, this is the day. I love that. How many know you need some moments in your life where you say, this is the day? This is the day when I'm not running anymore. This is the day I'm not cowering down in fear anymore. This is the day that I don't hang my head in shame anymore. This is the day that I know that God has delivered me from all the pain, all the sorrow, all the trauma, all the hurt, all the hatred, all the bitterness, all the abuse, all the wounding, all the things that people said about me. This is the day that it all ends. Today is the day. Everybody needs a day like that in your life. A day of deliverance, a day of victory, a day where God said, what I told you previously, today's the day I'm bringing it to pass. And so she goes out, they go out to battle. Now, I could preach, I'll just give you a little hint. It's another sermon preached long ago right here on the platform of this church family that I preached this message. But when it says in verse 15, and the Lord discomfited Sisera, discomfited discombobulated, put them at odds with one another. What does that mean, discomfit? I've always believed that God that said in the days of the exodus of the children of Israel, God said, I'll send the hornet in front of you. There's a reason why I believe that, that oftentimes the ancient armies of the opposing armies that fought against Israel often turned their swords against each other and there was chaos. Is I believe in that moment, though Israel was outnumbered out of every crook and every cranny, out of the trees, the nest of wasps and hornets and yellow jackets. God said, I control everything. And God would take them from their nest and they would come swarming into the camp of the enemy. And you might have the armor of the king on and you might be riding in his iron chariot but you let somebody drop down a nest of yellow jackets in your chariot and you're going to be shedding that clothing as quickly as you can it's going to be confusing and if it's bad enough you'll swing that sword at anything in front of you to try to are y'all out there today I want you to know when God gets ready to deliver you he'll do whatever he needs to and he'll use whatever resource is within his reach. And let me tell you, everything is within his reach. And so God discomfited Sisera, and the entire army fell to Israel that day. 
and Caesarea escaped. Caesarea looked around and things are going chaotic. And the captain, the man that has oppressed Israel for these many years, he jumps down and he takes off on foot. And so he's hiding behind rocks and, and nooks and crannies just searching for a little place to get away. And he's making his way as far from the battle. Barak is, is ravaging the, 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 the soldiers of the Canaanites. The battle is wrapping up quickly. And Sisera makes his way to the tent of Jael. The, now, I know many of you thought we lived in Heber Springs. And there are many times that you've called and told somebody your address when you're ordering something online. And you said, well, I live in Heber. They said, do you live in Heber Springs? And you said, no, no, I don't live in Heber, Heber Springs. I live in Heber Springs. But this is actually Heber the Kenite. So in actuality, we probably do live in Heber Springs. So just with this. So it says here that he went. Uh, he found a place. Uh, there was a tent that was somewhere between the battle and between his homeland where he thought he had a safe place. Uh, but a particular woman remember what God said a woman named Jael and I have to believe that when she is there on the edge of her tent that day that she is she's thinking in herself I wonder how the battle has gone and news begins to come out and says you know what the Canaanites have been routed in front of the Israelites and she's allied to the Israelites her husband might not have been but she was and she said you know what maybe this is my time I have to believe in that moment when she's outside her that she has heard the word spoken by Deborah many days earlier that honor was going to go to a woman. And in that moment of time, J.L. said, it's not going to go to just any woman. It's going to go to this woman because now is my time, glory to God. And that's what the spirit of prophecy does. You'll know in your heart, this is my day and God has given me an opportunity to secure victory for the people of God. And so, and so J.L. does something. She opens up her tent and she invites him in. I want you to follow this. I'm going to give you a prophetic word as I close this message today. Because the, there's a prophetic word contained. You've got to learn it and apply it and listen to it and connect to it. If all you do is hear a sermon, I've done you no good today. If all you do is go out and say, well, that was a pretty good preaching. I might could have got that off of TBN. It might have been a little bit better. Well, then you're going to walk out and you can still be under the power of the oppressor for 20 years but if you'll open your heart up today and say today is the day that the prophetic word is agitated inside of me and we're going to see a victory in my life I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how squeaky my voice is, how erratic my, my language is, how many words I get right or wrong what matters is the word in your heart that creates faith that you rise up and do what God's called you to do that's what matters when this thing's all said and done at the end of the day, I'm going to go home, but I'm going to hope that and pray that you received a prophetic word that's going to change your life. But it doesn't just change your life. It changes the life of your family and your future. So here's what she did. So I want you to see this because, so we're going to read it. I'll tell you how it comes to pass. But there's a prophetic element to it. So you got to see this because, if listen, if the word is not living to you, if all this is is a historical record, then you don't have any, you can't drive the enemy out of your life with a historical record. But you can drive the enemy out of your life with a prophetic word. And so J.L. knew at that moment, he's out there, but I need to get him in here. Why did she need to get him in here? Because that tent represented her authority. 
How many of you know you don't fight against enemies that you don't have authority against? But when you know what authority has been given to you, then you say, I'm willing to fight this battle. So she brought him under the tent because she brought him under her authority. And then while there, she said, let me put it, I love the King James. I'm sorry. I know all you ESV and all you MEV and all you CEVs, but I'm a KJV. And KJV said that she covered him with a mantle, not a comforter, not a blanket brought down at the dollar general for $2.50 to keep her warm when it got cold but with the word mantle mantle means anointing Uh, and so she said not only do I want to bring the enemy underneath the authority God's given me but I'm also going to put him under my anointing because let me tell you the enemy that you can be the enemy you can win against is when you bring him under your authority and your anointing you can guarantee you can win the victory glory to God man that's good preaching for a young guy like me I am preaching myself happy in this house today because I want you to walk in victory. I want to see the people of God shaking off the adversary in 20 years of struggle in your life and oppression from the adversary. And so when she brings him back to the back of the tent, he says, I need you to give me a little drink of water. But see, JL said, I got something else for you. And so she opened KJV, a bottle of milk. And it wasn't a bottle out of the refrigerator like a jug with a lid. Bottle at the time of translation in 1611 also meant skin. So it would have been a skin of milk. So it would have been a goat skin. And it had within it, it would have had either camel's milk or it would have had goat's milk. But it would have been soured. It would have been what we call buttermilk. You say, Pastor, what are you saying all this? Because the enemy wants you to give him a tasteless gospel. The enemy wants you to present something without pungent aroma. But I want you to know today the Word of God has a strength. It might be the sweet smell to someone else, but it might be a stench to someone else. It matters not. My job's to speak it and declare it by faith in the name of Jesus. There is a demon in this generation that wants the church to have nothing but water. Oh, just come to the church. It's just cool and refreshing. I don't want to bring to you a message that's filled with water when I'll bring you a cup filled with milk that has a, has a, has an odor to it. And it's an odor that you need in your life. And in this case, it actually helped disarm the enemy because it's lulled him like some of you at the end of my sermon into a deep sleep. And one more time, She wrapped him in her mantle. Are you catching that today? If you don't have the anointing on your life, you better get the anointing on your life. If you get the anointing on your life, I'm telling you, you won't be intimidated by the darkness and the situations in life that we find around us. Because with the anointing on your life, I'm telling you, everything changes. You say, Pastor, how do I get the anointing on my life? Get around anointed folk. (laughs) Stay with them. Stay around them. When they pray, you pray. When they kneel, you get over along beside them in the name of Jesus. Ask somebody to put their hand on you. Ask somebody to pray for you. Go to a women's conference, whatever it is. Go to a man's conference. Go to a revival. I don't care how you get in the front seat of your truck, right, Jason? Bow down over until the Spirit of God falls on you you and fills you with the power of the spirit of the living God I'm telling you despise not prophesying and quench not the spirit you need it in your life don't be ashamed to have the spirit of God on you the people without the anointing are the ones they're the ones that are feeling the fretting and the worrying of the age in which we live the folks that are walking in the anointing say my God is for me 
And if God be for me, who can be against me? And so Jael lures him to sleep. After the battle, after the running, after the milk, he's asleep. And Jael does something. It's gruesome. Liberal theologians try to say she murdered him in her tent. But Deborah sang a praise about her. She goes outside to the front of the tent. And there she pulls a peg, an iron peg, that was holding the cord that was securing the tent. And she got, did you know in those days, it's almost like today, women did most of the work around the house, including erecting the house, called a tent, many times. So she was very familiar with a hammer in her hand. And I know you said, Pastor, I don't like to read and see things. Well, that's all right. The devil don't like to read about it either. Because this is how God says, I'm going to tell you how you're going to get victory over the enemy. So she took two things in her hand, a hammer and an iron nail. And she went in quietly, not arrogantly. I mean, no, you don't have to be boastful and proud and arrogant to walk in the anointing. As a matter of fact, you won't be anointed if you try to. And she slipped in real quiet. And there was the man that had ravaged the people of God for 20 years. There was the man that was possibly responsible for raping young girls. There was the man that was possibly, possibly responsible for ripping the living children out of the wombs of their mothers when they destroyed cities in Israel. There was the man that God said was cursed. And she took that iron nail and she took that hammer in her hand and with a swift turn of the elbow, if anybody's ever been a carpenter, you know, you don't hammer like this. You get some rhythm to it. There was rhythm right there, and there was rhythm. And in one swift blow, that nail pierced, went through one temple, and she put another pop on it, and it drove all the way down through the second temple and drove him all the way down into the ground, and he fell at her feet as dead. Now, prophetically, what does that mean to you here today? There are two things that that means for you personally that you've got to learn this. We teach you and talk to you about it all the time. There are two things. You need the Word, the Logos, but you need the Rhema, the quickened Word of God. So what I tell you it means is, is that the hammer was the Word, but also the nail was the revealed Word of God. So in that moment of time, you say, Pastor, how do I exercise victory over the enemy that's plagued me and my family all these long years? Then you got to understand the power and the virtue of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on a tree called Calvary. For it was there that God, with a hammer and a nail, put to death the enemy. It was there that the enemy was disarmed. It was there that your enemy of sin, that Jesus died as you, that was there on the tree where God took the hammer and the nail and he rolled up the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He rolled up the enemy's ability to accuse you. He rolled up the enemy's ability to come against you in condemnation and rob you and your family. It was there on the tree. And when you get that down in your spirit, that's when you learn to overcome by the power of the blood and by the power of the word of your testimony. That's when you'll raise your hand and say, I'm going to sing about the blood. I'm grateful for the blood because I tell the devil on a com uh, uh, commonly, I, I say this, uh, Satan, the blood of Jesus rebukes you and you have no right in my family and my, that's where victory lies. And you've got to get that down in your spirit if you're going to be the man or the woman that God's called you to be. And victory that day Victory that day, victory that day was accomplished 
by a woman who realized that now was her time. I don't know who I'm preaching to, to today, but I'm getting ready to close. I felt in my spirit that there were some under the sound of my voice today that needed to hear this gruesome story about when God brought victory to an oppressed people and changed the future of many families, including the nation of Israel, because she was willing to wage her warfare according to a prophetic word. Can I, can I tie all that back together? Remember what he said in 1 Timothy 4, or 1 and 18. My son Timothy, he said, I charge thee according to the word, to the prophetic word spoken before concerning them, that by these you wage a good warfare. There are some of you under the sound of my voice, God gave you a word. God gave you a promise. Somebody spoke something to you. God dropped something down in your spirit, and it's not yet come to pass. Don't give up. Don't give in. Wait on it. You got to wait on God, but you also got to do one thing. You got to align yourself to it. The reason why I honestly believe that I'm the pastor of Heber Springs First Assembly of God is because when I had opportunities to go elsewhere, when I had opportunities to go around the world and serve the military and, and obtain a, a career in the military, is I could not forget. I could not forget the prophetic word that God had spoken over my life. And I lined my life up so that it could come to pass exactly as God spoke. Are you all out there today? How many of you believe in the prophetic words? We need those. We need those. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me. Somebody's coming back to the keyboard here. Daryl, Aaron, whoever's doing the work for me today, I appreciate you deeply. I'm giving an invitation today twofold. I can't t listen, what I can't, I can't promise you prophecy on demand. I can't promise you that, you know what, can I dial up and get a, a free prophecy at First Assembly today? You know, you can get that under the guise of the church. You don't have to just dial 1-900. There are some churches that if you'll send in X amount or whatever, then they'll send you back a vial or they'll send you back a feather. <laughs> Me and Alyssa saw one brother, he got a feather. No kidding. Because God said that, you know, under my feathers you abide. And he said, just send me your request and I'll send you your anointed feather. I never really thought about sending out the anointed feather, Jojo, to anybody. It, but you know what? I will say this. God can do whatever he chooses. If he wants to anoint that feather, let him anoint that feather. But what I'm saying is I can't promise you, I can't promise you that somebody's going to give you a prophetic word. But I can promise you that this is the place where they can happen. I can promise you that. I can promise you that the, it's powerful to be around prophetic people. I can promise you that when I was searching for things in my life at that depth and at that nature and at that level, I knew that God, if I put myself in the right place, God could direct my steps through a prophetic word. A prophetic word could order my steps, and I could see the hand of God come to pass. Did you know that Sister Helen eventually received an invitation from me and she came to Shirley and ministered to our church family, to the very people that I got the opportunity to pastor as the first leg of this pastoral journey in my life 
to help me be the pastor to, of Hebrews First Assembly. How ironic is that? God put all that together. She, went, she came multiple, a couple of times and ministered to the people. You can see the hand of God if you'll trust him. By these, wage a good warfare. Line your life up. Make sacrifices. Don't, don't, if, if God's called you in a certain area, then you've got to shun the other things. I could have had a successful military career. I could have been a basketball coach. There's a number of things that I could have done, but I had a call on my life. God had spoken it over me, and I knew I needed to wage a good warfare. I couldn't forget those things. They stayed inside my spirit. When I tried to go here, tried to go there, God said, no, this is here. This is where. And you know what? I still believe that God's called Heber First Assembly to be a prophetic voice to North Central Arkansas. I've been preaching that for 18 years, and there's nothing inside of me to change that belief. God's called this church, but it can't be just us pastors alone. A prophetic voice is not just the pastor's voice. The church, others. As pastors, we want you to be prophetic. I didn't say puffetic. I said prophetic. Because we know that God can use you to bless somebody else. There are men and women around us today. So, but when I got ready, I said, God, how do I, how do I wrap this up? I didn't really, when I say wrap it up, I want, it, I want the altar. I want, I want people, but I, before I even think about those of you that are really hoping for a prophetic word, I can't guarantee that. I can't say it will or will. I hope and pray that there are prophetic utterances that are made that give people words and direction. But the one thing I know, though, is that there are people under the sound of my voice that God's already given you a word. Are y'all hearing me? Listen, listen. God's already given you a word. God sent me here today to tell you, don't give up on that word. Wage your warfare. That's where I'm going to start this altar service. That's the people I'm going to pray with first and foremost. One person, 30 people. I don't know. But I'm going to ask you today. If you've identified with this message, if there's something in your heart that you know was a word from God and it's not yet there and, and, and there's a tendency in your flesh to give up on it, I want to strengthen you by praying with you today. COVID has caused people to be standoff, hands off. I'm not trying to say yay or nay. All I am trying to say is, is I don't want it to rob us of the opportunity to minister to you. I do want to say that. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me, that's me, that I've got a word. God gave me a word, and I'm, I, 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 there are times I've been frustrated because I haven't seen it fully come to pass the way that I know that God intended for it, and I need to wage my good warfare. I need to, maybe, I need to, maybe, it's not, maybe I need to align my life a little bit differently and allow it to happen. That's you. I want you to come forward right now and have the courage today. It'll take courage today. It'll take courage to come forward. It took courage that day Then I was standing there in that room with Sister Helen and those other men and women. And Robert, were you there that night? I don't know if you were. I suppose you brought Helen there, I suppose. It took courage to stand up and say, I was in the, I'm in the armed forces. It, because I, in doing so, I was aligning myself up to prophecies that had been made 10 years earlier. Now, at that time, I was 27. The first prophecy was when I was 17. So there was that moment, a 10-year window, 10 years. 
And even then, it didn't happen here. I got sent to the hill country. For, this ain't the hill country, just so y'all know that. You want the hill country, go to Shirley. Beautiful, wonderful people. Some folks that I connected with there are here today. Worked a powerful work in me. Shane's sister, Daryl and Kathy's daughter, is there pastoring today partially because of that connection. Are y'all out there today? So it was very fruitful, seven years. But it wasn't what God had spoken to me when I was at Kuderneck Full Gospel. God said this area, and I couldn't let go of it. I couldn't let go of it. I knew this had to be the fulfillment of it. And I want you to know, church family, I waged my warfare. I made the sacrifices. I, uh, Sherry and I hedged ourselves in to the will of God. You've got to do the same if you want to see that come to pass in your life. Are you here today? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down with anointing oil, and I'm going to pray over the people of God. And I'm going to ask these other pastors, if they will, and leaders, you know, especially the leaders that are part of our church, to join with me. If you feel led to go to somebody, you need to go to them and pray for them today. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm not standing in this group, but I just feel like I need to pray. I need to just wait. I just need to yield. I need to kneel then you need to do that today. You need to find your place. Connect. Maybe you see somebody in this church that you say, Pastor, would this person pray for me? Go to them and ask them. Say, I know the prophetic person in this church. Then you know what? Slip up beside them today and say, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? And would you ask God to do something powerful in my life? Are y'all out there today? Let's pray a closing prayer. And then I'm going to, we're not closing. Obviously, I'm not closing, but I'm going to close the corporate side of this. If you have to be dismissed, I need two things out of you. I need you to, 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 be, to be respectful as you leave, right? Right, respectful to what's going on here. And number two, to make sure you don't leave your children. I said that as a father that forgot one. But she's here now. So I'm saying that respectfully. Father of heaven, I love you. And I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to pray for the men and women to preach this message. Church family, do you have a hammer in your hand? Do you have a nail in your hand? If you don't, you ought to be at this altar. Is that right? Come on now. If you don't, you should. You should be saying, God, I need a nail. I need a hammer. I need something. I'm tired. I'm, I'm ready for the enemy to be broken, the power of the adversary over my life. God, I preach this word not to just these that came forward. These that came forward already have the prophetic word in their life. God's already given them a word. God's already given them a word. But Father, others may need it for the very first time. They need to grab that hammer. They need to grab that nail. They need to know God spoke deliverance over them. Let them, Father God, have the courage. Let them have the courage. Let them have the courage. Let them have the courage in the name of Jesus. God, I pray. God, this, well, there was such a holy awe in this place during worship. Church family, I believe it can be not recreated. I can believe it can be, it can be realized again. It can, be, it can even be deeper. Be, it can be deeper in this moment here than it was previously. So, Lord, would you, would you bless the people, not just these that have come forward. So, church family, as I get ready to pray for people, I want to ask you to say this. You can make the altar right there. 
You can make an altar right here. We've got plenty of room. You can come on the other side and just drop down and kneel and say, God, I need a hammer and I need a nail. Maybe today God's already given you a word and you need to come to this altar and just drive in the truth that God's given you to drive away the adversary. That's a good word right there. Maybe you need to do that right at the seat where you're at. Now, all those that come forward, when I come to you to pray with you, I'm going to anoint you with oil. And I'm going to pray pastorally over you, but I'm, remember now, I'm putting my faith in agreement with yours. I want to ask you to do one thing for me, and that is when I, me and Sister Sherry get near you, I want to ask you just to just quickly, you can't tell me about the dream or vision. I just want just a one or two words that may say, Pastor, it's a, I had a word about my family, or uh, I had a dream about ministry or a business or whatever it is. Just let me connect to it in the spirit today so I can pray with you in this moment right here in Jesus' name. So, church family, I'm beginning to pray. Now, the rest, I can't be responsible for you now. That's on you. If you need to leave, you leave. If you want to stay, keep this moment fresh today in Jesus' name.